Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Baseball America Prospects podcast, our first of the new year. I'm Kyle Glazer, glad to be back with you guys. Hope everyone had a great holiday season. To break in 2022, we're pleased to jump into one of the more interesting systems in baseball right now, and that is the Pittsburgh Pirates. And to help us do that, we are joined by Mark Chirelli. Mark did the Pirate system for us at BA here for the first time this year, uh, but he's been all over the place for us on the prospect side, knows these guys as well as anyone, and really got to dive into a pretty fun and deep system. Mark, first and foremost, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me back on, Kyle. Yeah, of course, of course. The Pirate system has really kind of transformed over the last two years. If you go back, the Pirates hired Ben Charrington to be their new general manager after the 2019 season. He immediately steered the team into a rebuild, trading Starling Marte a few months later. And really, it's just been a consistent stream of trades after that. Over the past two plus years of Charrington's tenure, the Pirates have traded Marte, Jamison Tyone, Joe Musgrove, Josh Bell, Adam Frazier, Richard Rodriguez, Clay Holmes, Jacob Stallings, all these guys who were kind of staples of the Pirates the last couple of years, in addition to guys like Tyler Anderson, who they brought in on a one-year deal and flipped at the deadline, plus a lot of other smaller trades as well. And as a result, the Major League team is... Not very good. There's no secret there. They went 61 and 101 in 2021. They had the number one overall pick after having the worst record in baseball during the 2020 season. And the promise of this team does lie in the farm system and all the prospects they've acquired. They've overwhelmingly acquired prospects in exchange for those veterans I just named. Mark, where is this system right now and how does it stand? Uh, I thought the system was a ton of fun. Um, I look forward to seeing what comes out of your organization talent rankings because I think I think they have an argument to be in that top tier. I understand why the Mariners and Orioles were ahead of them at midseason, but uh, I think for, for its money, this is as deep as any system, if not deeper than any other system in baseball, just from the – especially if you look like 10 and beyond. Um, I got to, to 30 as we were doing the list and had five, six, seven more – more players who I thought had a, a convincing argument to, to make the top 30. So um, the depth really stood out to me. What they did in the draft this past year uh, was a lot of fun. Um, one of the, the few times I guess we've gotten, got to write that the Pirates could flex their financial muscle a little bit. Um, and and it, they, they brought in four really, really fun players. So um, it was a really fun system to dive into. Yeah, it's always kind of fun when you look at a system one year and sometimes you get to the number 21, 22 guy and you're really stretching and there's not a lot of guys to write about. And as you mentioned with this system, in part because they've done so many three for one, four for one type of deals. And as you mentioned, this last year's draft going under slot with the number one overall pick, saving some of that money to spread it around and get some pretty impressive talent and the picks after that. Very quickly, you have a really interesting group. It's far away it's lower level but there's a nice base to work with here it appears at least on the surface yeah and it's a lot of different types of players I mean a couple years ago Cody Bolton was one of the top pitchers in their system who's squarely in the top 10 this year he's hanging on in the 30 just I mean there's a 
variety of circumstances has played that led to that, but it, it speaks too to just the amount of new faces, new players that they've added that, uh, and a bunch of them had really good years in 2021 too. As much as there are a lot of new players in the system, guys who have come in the last year or two, the number one prospect in the system is somewhat of an old hat and O'Neill Cruz made his major league debut at the very end of the season. Someone that Pirates fans have been hearing a lot about for years and really people paying attention to the minor leagues just because he's so unique as a six foot seven power hitting shortstop. And for years, scouts have said, you know, he can play this position better than you think he can. Ultimately, how close was it in terms of Cruz being number one on this list? You have Henry Davis, the number one overall pick this year. You have Nick Gonzalez, a top pick last year, who after a slow start and an injury really turned it on at the end of the year. Was anyone really in contention for this spot other than Cruz, or did he really separate himself? I think you had to um, give Davis's, I guess, shot at it at least some thought. But for me, Cruz was number one at the start and only felt more kind of committed to that the more we reported out on it. Uh, I think just the the sheer tool set is something you you don't see across minor league or major league baseball too often. Uh, and he had a pretty powerful year in 2021. So he he – Entered the process number one and emerged the clear-cut number one for me. What can Pirates fans expect from him in terms of what kind of hitter he's going to be, what position he's going to play? Because, again, so much power, but it's also long arms. We see those guys have strikeout issues at times. Just a superb athlete. Again, he's the tallest player to ever play shortstop in the major leagues, or tied, I should say, for the tallest player to ever play shortstop in the major leagues. What is O'Neill Cruz? I mean, that's the question people have been asking for years, but realistically, what can he be to this organization? Yeah, you kind of nailed it. My favorite stat, I guess, that came out of um, reporting into Cruz was that within two games at the major league level, he already owns the Pirates' stat cast exit velocity record at 118 miles per hour. And it, it's kind of indicative of the energy and the juice that's in that bat. It's legit 70 power, um, really, really fun raw power. He gets to it a decent amount for a guy with as much long with the long levers. Um, with that, as you said, comes swing and miss. And I think guys who have the longer levers to lengthen the swing, it can take them a little while to adjust to new levels. So I wouldn't be surprised if in 2022, there's maybe a steeper learning curve with Cruz than there are other prospects in, in a similar ilk, but I think it starts with the bat. It's really, really exciting. Um, and then he's also speed and a really strong throwing arm. Um, the one thing, I mean, it seems like we've probably dug into this every year for the last three or four years is, is the shortstop thing. And I'm kind of with you it seems like the pirates really think he has a shot to stick there. And that was a resounding, uh, the resounding feedback that came out of the system. And when you get to scouts and evaluators outside of the system, they get a lot more skeptical, but I think considering what uh, Pittsburgh is looking at, as far as a, an outlook for the team in 2022, it makes a ton of sense to give him a lot of run at that position. Yeah, you hit on a key point there that the bat really is the thing with him. And, whether he kind of beats the odds and somehow stays at shortstop for any extended period of time or has to move to another position, right field has often been cited because he has a cannon for an arm. There is a sense he's going to be an impact middle of the order type of hitter, which provides plenty of value to the pirates either way. One of the things that interests me is we, again, we talk about six foot seven long arms some swing and miss, but his strikeout rate was only a tick over 25% double A AA and triple A last year. And again, it was a smaller sample size. He had some injuries, didn't get a full season, only 68 games. But for guys long levered as he is, the strikeout rate has never been obscene. It really hasn't been for the most part in that 35, 36 range we see sometimes from these big long arm power hitters. He's actually kept it pretty reasonable. 
Yeah, it's flatlined. And I think in the second half of the year, there started to some subtleties, I guess, in his approach started to show up as far as pitch recognition. Um, he, he went from being maybe more of a guest hitter to a guy that, that opposing evaluators could see had kind of a plan up there. Um, so I think it, it's been, and sometimes with the international signings, uh, just because they've been in the system for a longer time, it, it feels slow. But I think there's a pretty steady year-over-year kind of maturation with him. Yeah, no question. Again, you mentioned feels like he's been around for a while because he signed with the Dodgers back in 2015. Right. right. But he just turned 23 last October. <laughs> he's still very young. So uh, certainly an interesting player and someone that a lot of people are excited about and will rank very highly on the BA Top 100 and should open with the Pirates on opening day, barring injury or some other unforeseen circumstance. We hit on Henry Davis a little bit. Again, number one overall pick out of Louisville. Now, it was an underslot selection, to be clear. At the same time, speaking with evaluators as the draft approached, there was a sense that he very much had pushed himself into that group of the top five players in the draft with Jack Leiter, Kamar Rocker, Marcella Mayer, Jordan Lawler. Henry Davis at the beginning of the year was maybe seen as a step behind those four. Those were seen as the top four talents in the draft class. And by the time the draft came around, there was a sense that he's right there with the rest of them. And he very legitimately was a candidate for the number one overall pick. And part of what played into the Pirates' decision there was he was willing to sign for underslot. It's not like they picked a guy that people thought was two or three tiers below that, and they just wanted to find an underslot guy. There was a sense the talent level that he showed last year at Louisville pushed him into that tier. Uh, Limited pro debut, but on the whole, what were some of the early reviews on Henry Davis? The, the thing that stuck out to me um, from the, the pro side of the feedback, at least, was that there are people who watch him and see his swing and think it's tailored uh, really well to kind of the modern pitching attack as far as it's a flat plane. There's field of hit. There's also some power there. Uh, very mature approach. Um, they started he, – he jumped into high A and, and kind of looked – comfortable there pretty quickly. Unfortunately, an oblique injury shut him down in late August, but it, it just came across very advanced. Uh, and it seems like a guy who, who can deal with the, the high fastball in the zone, but also breaking stuff down in a way. And he can approach that with a plan and kind of hang in there. Definitely seems a bat first catcher in speaking with evaluators during his spring season, it was interesting, the split on his defensive potential, there were some evaluators who thought, yep, he'll be fine. No problem. No one saw a potential gold Glover or anyone like that, but you know, a guy who could be an average solid major league catcher. There were some others who had some more reservations on the whole, based on your discussions with the pirates. And again, it's a very limited look in his pro debut. What is the outlook for him defensively? I think if he can get to the, the average kind of blocking the average pitch calling, I mean, the, the arm is, is plus it's a really strong arm. Uh, considering where the game seems to be going with catching right now, I think you can, you can squint and see a way that he sticks behind the plate. And I think the pirates um, feel cautiously optimistic that he's already shown them enough to think that that's a possibility. You mentioned these were the top two guys that you gave some thought to for the number one overall spot in this system. Was anyone else given any thought whatsoever and how did kind of the next group stack up? Uh, Nick Gonzalez was in there too. He, he's a little bit higher floor than some of the other guys at the top of this system. Um, he had a strange season where he missed a month with a finger injury. And then when he came back, uh, there was more swing and miss than I think you'd expect with Nick Gonzalez. But by the end of the season, the Arizona Fall League, he looked more like the player that, that scouts saw and scouts saw even as an amateur. So he was on the periphery of the conversation, but 
for the most part, it was Cruz and Davis. And then we started to get into to that next wave of guys. Yeah, Gonzalez is an interesting guy, really an amazing story, a walk-on at New Mexico State, hardly a top-tier program, and just hit his way to one of the top players in the class. He hit with Wood in the Cape Cod League. I remember seeing the video of him where just taking left-handed swings for the hell of it, and it was like a quick, beautiful swing that, I mean, it's <laughs> insane to see from a guy who, again, that's not his natural side and nothing he, he uses how good of a hitter can he be? I mean, people have put sixes on it. Some have put sevens on the bat. How good of a hitter can he be? Yeah, I think a six is fair. It, uh, the feedback I got is an occasional all-star potential at second base just because of how solid the hitting ability is uh, with average to maybe above average power potential. Um, his power numbers were, were pretty good this year. I think he finished with 18 homers at Greensboro. Some of that, I think, is ballpark-induced. His power plays to right center, and that works at that ballpark. I, I'm, I'm not sure um, how real all of it was, but there's definitely at least average power, if, if not more there. So I got occasional all-star really solid regular feedback as far as the bat goes. The injury and the missed time kind of messed with his overall season line. There was an elevated rate of swings and misses in the strike zone that resulted in mm-hmm. a little bit of concern. Uh, just what was kind of the overall feedback you were getting on that? <laughs> Surprise it, it, or question. It, it's one of those things where you can't see, you know, a hole in a, the swing. You don't see in, uh, something in the approach that really jumps out as a red flag right away. I mean, I think he's a very aggressive hitter who, who trusts his hitting ability. And sometimes with anyone that can, that can get you in a little bit of trouble, but um, when I brought up the strikeout rate, especially to people outside of the organization, uh, it didn't get as much concern maybe as I thought it would just looking at the pure number. It was one of those things where it's like, well, yeah, maybe it, it, it levels out somewhere in the mid twenties, but he makes so much contact that it, you know, it's going to play. Yeah. It's interesting. Looking at all the scout feedback this year, there really was a tremendous level of confidence from evaluators, both inside and outside the organization that, this guy is going to hit, uh, he's going to hit for a high average, a lot of doubles. He's not going to be a, a big, big power guy, but gets a ball up in the zone. He can get it and elevate it a little bit. So, I mean, there's going to be some power there. It's not a two, three home run guy, uh, high average, 10 to 15 balls, a lot of doubles. That's a really good player. I will say when I saw him at New Mexico state, I did notice that defensively it was not great sometimes the smaller guys you expect some twitchiness and lateral agility and his was not great and the reports this year from his first full season kind of bore that out what were you hearing on him defensively that that's exactly it the the pirates are are higher on his defense than uh, anyone i talked to outside of the organization i think the word I, i put in the scattering report is it could be functional at second base there isn't a ton of agility but uh, he, he knows his way around the position. He has the hands to, to play there. So I don't think it's going to stand out as a, as a glaring issue, but um, it, it wasn't amazing by any stretch. We'll see what it looks like. I got a lot of forties, 45s playable, not exceptional, but if he hits enough, it's not going to be an issue. And I think that's when you look at the top of this pirate system, we just kind of hit out, you know, Elnil Cruz, Henry Davis, Nick Gonzalez, each of them have some defensive questions, some minor, some where you're wondering a little more, but they all project to hit. And ultimately, if you can hit, you can be an impact player in the big leagues. And I do feel like that puts the Pirates in a really good position, assuming these guys continue to develop as expected. Yeah, it's a really fun, fun top of the system. And I think, you know, for Pirates fans coming off the 61-win season and looking, looking like it's going to be probably something similar in 2022, at least 
you will have O'Neill Cruz, you'll have Rowenzi Contreras. They both made their debuts right at the end of 2021. Like you can start to feel what has been percolating at the lower levels. I think you're going to start to feel it come a little bit more. And, th- and there are a couple of guys at the top of the system who should get there sooner rather than later. Yeah. Speaking of Rowenzi Contreras, Coming into the year, Quinn Priester was seen as the top pitching prospect in this system, and a lot of that was based off of last year. There was obviously no minor league season, but during instructional league, he was getting rave reviews, and one of the battles of last year that everyone dealt with, player development officials, scouts, us at BA, was how much weight do you put on a couple innings in instructional league or at the alternate site, and ultimately, given just how loud a lot of the reviews were on Priester, we were bullish on him. And coming out this year, he had a perfectly fine season. And I think if it weren't for those expectations, people would be like, yeah, this was really, really good. But I think because those expectations got super elevated, they were almost a little bit disappointed, which I don't think is fair to him, given, again, what he did in his first full season. At the same time, a different pitching prospect elevated himself over Quinn Priester to become the number one pitcher in the system. The aforementioned Roancy Contreras how close was it between these two for the title of top pitching prospect in the system and overall what were evaluators seeing this year? It, it was very close. And Priester actually based off some of our reporting during the season, I guess, entered the off season as the quote unquote favorite to be the top pitcher in, in the system. But the more you kind of look at what Contreras did in 2021 and talk to some people who, who saw both of them, he really, um, his outlook, if anything, brightened in my eyes and ultimately I mean they're back to back in our ranking won't give away exactly where they are but um, it was Contreras right ahead of Priester Um, I'll actually start with Priester first because I think you made a great point what do you make of the instructs and you could probably make a case that of any pitcher who who showed up at instructional league he boosted his stock as, as much as anyone I mean in the short burst you were seeing a guy who was up to 98 you saw that that hammer or the curveball uh, he's really young. I mean, there was a lot of really positive indicators. Um, the thing that jumped out evaluating him or, or talking to people who evaluated him, that stuff didn't quite hold. And I think, I think part of that is, well, yeah, he, he was throwing four or five and six innings. Like maybe it wasn't realistic to expect it ever would, but um, he settled more into that like low to mid nineties range with this fastball. Um, the curveball flash plus but it wasn't maybe the dominant pitch that you saw in shorter shorter bursts I also think the the thing to remember with him is um, he's got great size great frame he pitched all season and he's still he'll be 21 years old on opening day so you you have to kind of find the 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 level there with the expectations but um, there's still a lot of exciting qualities when it comes to Priester but I think you're right we had to back off a little bit maybe from where we were at coming out of um, last winter. And again, it's something where you look at it, 20 years old, high A, first full season, ERA is a tick over three, average more than a strikeout per inning. The walks were a tick high, but not terrible. And as you mentioned, the stuff was still pretty solid all around. Again, you know, low to mid nineties, he touched those upper nineties. Uh, the curveball was pretty good for a, a lot of the season. And again, Pitching in short bursts or, or even, you know, being a position player for a couple of weeks in instructional league and translating that to a full season and the grind of travel and playing in 110 degrees and baking, it takes a toll on guys. So I, I think it's something where 
This is still a really good pitching prospect and someone that we see as definitely a top 100 candidate. Overall, it does seem like there's a lot of projections now. He can be a really good mid-rotation starter. Some say back, but maybe just not the one-two people were dreaming of based on those limited looks and instructs in 2020s. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that is fair to say. I think with him, in order to maybe start to creep back up towards a a number two type of guy, you'd like to see a little bit more swing and miss in the zone. Um, You'd like to see the fastball play a little bit bit better than it did in 2021. Um, And I think some scouts who saw him were a little surprised maybe at how robotic or mechanical the delivery got at times. But part of that too, I think, is him trying to figure out what works best for him still. And he, and you're watching that play out in real time. So um, if he, if he made some improvements there, you, you, you might start to, to say, you know, it's definitely mid rotation creeps back to maybe being a number two guy. So that, that's where he's at right now. Entering, entering the season. Maranta Contreras ultimately ended up getting not ahead of him. I had the opportunity to see him in the Arizona fall league and it was very, very impressive to say the least. Everything was working for him, fastball, breaking ball. And what I like too is you saw the ability to kind of adjust. He did not have feel for his changeup early. He was kind of overthrowing it, was tailing too far out of the strike zone, but he was able to make an adjustment, dial back on it a little bit. And second time through the order, it was really working for him. He's able to get that late dive and sink, swings and misses over the top while keeping his fastball and breaking balls consistent throughout the outing, held his velocity, swings and misses, weak contact, and also a lot of composure. There were a couple of things that didn't go his way. He just kind of laughed about it, shook it off and went back to attacking hitters. It was very, very easy to see why people are high on him. The stuff, but also the composure, the makeup, the intelligence, and just kind of the feel. What were the reviews on throughout this year? He missed some time with injury but still ended up climbing from double a to the majors yeah it's such an interesting juxtaposition to priester because priester was you saw some grainy instructs video or what you see a couple innings on youtube and people get really excited where Contreras is almost the opposite he, he put in a lot of work to add strength to his body especially in the lower half and did it you know away during the shutdown and he came back and all of a sudden you're looking at kind of a different guy where he's stronger in the fastball, uh, you know, which used to be low 90s is suddenly topping out at 98. And, it, and it's got late life and it, he can throw it at the top of the zone. And all of a sudden it, it changes the profile of him. So I think at first when people saw him, it was almost a whoa. Like, well, this, is, this is a different looking pitcher than what we saw two years ago when he was in the Yankees system. Um, he has two breaking balls and I think he was able to kind of refine each of them and improve both of them in, in doing so. And I think that also helped his profile, but uh, the data, especially the pitch data with his fastball was just so exciting. And uh, he was really able to dominate. You, you mentioned the injuries and that's, that's really the, the one thing holding him back. There's the forearm injury. There's some concern that he's a, a smaller frame guy. Can he hold up in a, in a full-time starting role? But as far as what he was able to do when he was healthy, it was really loud. And the stuff I think we had heard about and knew it was there, but seeing some of the pitch ability and the feel, and also talking to him, even through a language barrier translator, you get a really quick sense. This guy, he's smart. He has a really good understanding of his craft. And I think when he takes stuff with that intelligence, that makeup, that work ethic, that's when something special can happen. And he's only 21 years old, or I should say he was 21 all of last year. He turned 22 in November. It's still a pretty young pitcher, and it does still feel like there's more to come from him. And given where his stuff and his understanding of his craft already is, I can't help but think if he can stay healthy, there might be some pretty significant potential here. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what he can do in 2022. And I think he, he should have an opportunity to pitch his way into that starting rotation. 
Just to kind of talk about the innings issue a little bit, the health, he only threw 58 innings this year in the minors. I got three innings in the majors. He has topped 65 innings in a season only once in his career. Uh, that was back in 2019. So seeing if he's able to hold up is a big thing. But again, between Contreras and Priester, the Pirates have two pretty good pitching prospects to work with to back up that top group of hitters. All right, Mark, I want to dive into the back half of this top 10 and the rest of the system because there's just so much depth. Uh, first, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll jump right back into it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. And we're back breaking down the Pittsburgh Pirates farm system with Mark Chiarelli. All right, Mark, we talked about some of the guys at the top of this top 10. I feel like from the outside looking in, it's fair to say there were six guys or so that were pretty clear-cut top 10 prospects and really the top six in this system. And then you get into a group that's less clear-cut. Ultimately, how did you kind of sort this group out and how many guys would you say were kind of in the mix for the 7 to 10 range? I would say there were, there were probably seven or eight guys who all at one point or another uh, had a kind of a, an argument to be in that mix. Um, the, the Pirates only made it more difficult when they drafted guys like Salamedo and Bubba Chandler and Lonnie White. And then you got to figure out how they kind of slot into the mix. And, and who knows, I may have been a, a tad conservative on them, but they're right on the outside of this, this back of the top 10 mix. But I had, I had seven or eight guys, including a couple starters, a couple uh, pitchers in the system who I think have some really exciting attributes, but whether there's size concern with Jared Jones or maybe injury concern with Carmen Majinski, like there's that one thing that, that kind of stands out as a potential um, caution indicator, but there's some fun guys in this mix, including um, Andy Rodriguez, who, who we slotted in at seven. 
What is it about Andy Rodriguez that put him ahead? He was acquired from the Mets in the three-team deal that sent Joe Musgrove to the Padres and Joey Lucchese to the Mets. He pushed up ahead of some guys who are much bigger names in terms of high draft picks, big bonus guys. What pushed him to the top of this group? He's ultra-athletic at catcher and showed a really good field of hit this year. Um, with I think there's some more power potential there. Um, strikes on recognition that goes beyond his age. I mean, he'll be 22 this year. Uh, and, and I think the athleticism and it, and it's interesting watching both him and now Henry Davis come through the system because you have two really exciting catching prospects. Um, I think the thing that stood out to me with Rodriguez is it's athletic enough where the pirates think, you know, if he has to move to second base or has to move to first base or has to move to even maybe left field, it, it's a possibility. So, um, there's maybe a little bit more than you might expect out of just a, a young international signing um, who, who has some interesting qualities at, at, as a catching prospect. Um, there's some true athletic ability there. Yeah, he was someone who also was kind of under the radar until Instructs last year. We saw a couple players really kind of up their stock at Instructional League last year and end up being moved in trades, and he was one of those guys. You talk about, again, the versatility defensively, where does he fit into the Pirates' plans long-term? Because as you mentioned, they certainly have some guys, but there's also some holes here to be filled. Yeah, I think. I mean, they're going to give him a shot to, to keep catching, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if him and Davis um, either are a tandem or Rodriguez might be uh, a level behind Davis moving up, but he's not going to be far off. But I think they'll both give him a shot and, and kind of let, let things play out over time. Um, maybe he's a little bit further away because it's a little less refined than Davis, but – uh, I think they could end up arriving relatively around the same time. Yeah, certainly someone to watch. The back finished off with three pitchers, Michael Burrows, Jared Jones, Carmen Mulginski. And as you mentioned, you had a lot of guys who were high draft picks this year, Anthony Solomedo, Bubba Chandler, uh, also guys who are pitchers, though Chandler's more of a two-way guy, Lonnie White, an outfielder. What put this trio of pitchers into the top 10 over maybe some of the newer guys? Yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of a track record there. So Solomedo to me, and he did not make the top 10. Solomedo to me, even as a, as a cold weather high school arm, seems more advanced maybe than, than what you'd expect. I could see him pitching his way into this mix in relatively short order, but I gave the nod to, to guys who have at least had a little bit of track record so far as a pro. Um, Burroughs was a, another high school cold weather arm when he was drafted. Uh, and it's kind of been a little bit of a slow burn. There's, there's some injury concern there, but when he's healthy, it's a fastball that's in the mid-90s, and the curveball is the best in, in the Pittsburgh system or one of the best in Pittsburgh system. So there's two really good pitches to start with there. Uh, if he can refine that changeup, you're looking at three pretty good pitches, or at least two good pitches in, in an average changeup that allows him to start. But um, even as a fallback, I think he'd be a very effective kind of two or three bulk inning sprinter type um, so I think he's really exciting. And then Jared Jones, I know he gets, there's a knock on him for his size, but, uh, he's very athletic and, and he's another guy where the data was, was really loud. It's a fastball up to 99, ton of spin with the, the breaking ball. He got it. I think it was a hundred or so strikeouts in, in 66 innings. Like he missed a lot of bats. Um, so they're, they're two really exciting guys. And then you get those, uh, you get the Salamedo and you get, the, the Chandler, it could be fun. 
there's a lot of good arms here. And it kind of goes back to the old saying of you need five pitching prospects to get one to the majors. And the <laughs> Pirates are starting to collect them in bulk. And I will say a lot of people I know were questioning, why are these other guys ahead of the new group? You have to remember Jared Jones and Carmen Mulginski were also top 50 draft picks in their draft class. And Salamedo, Chandler, White, they're all really, really good, but they're just the newer guys. These other guys were pretty dang good coming out of the draft as well and also have a little bit of a track record. I do want to ask about one other first-round pick who fairly consistently for us at BA, the reports have come out as he's okay, he's not bad, but he's not really a top 10 prospect in this system. Travis Swaggerty. What is the latest on Swaggerty and realistically what his future is in the Pirates organization? Yeah, he missed almost all, all season with a dislocated non-throwing shoulder. So they had, the Pirates internally had Swaggerty pegged as a potential breakout candidate in 2021 because they believe he started to get to his power a little more consistently and make better swing decisions. Unfortunately, he didn't have the opportunity to prove that and let that bear out at AAA this year. That's what they believed internally. I mean, he has not shown that as a professional so far. Um, he was thought of as a relatively safe guy, if I recall, coming out of college. And um, the bat just hasn't been as prolific as maybe people expected. So internally, they were excited. I, it's tough to really draw much of a conclusion from such a, sh- a short sample. Um, but he does have the, the fallback of being an above average to plus defender in center field. So I think that that's going to get him there. It's just a matter of of whether the bat um, matures to the point where you could say we can start him. 2022 is going to be an interesting year for him, just given obviously did not get the chance to play the entire 2020 season with the minor league season canceled, only played 12 games this year at AAA Indianapolis. And again, he'll be 24 years old at AAA next year. It's not like there's no runway for him at all, but I think just seeing what he looks like coming back and what will be essentially his first real full season since 2019 at the plate it's going to be key for him because, uh, again, he's a big name, was the 10th overall pick, and as you mentioned, the bat just has never really come around as expected. A career 255, 339, 385 hitter in the minor leagues after a pretty prolific college career, albeit at a mid-major at South Alabama. Mark, one of the players that the Pirates drafted this year who was one of the more just interesting players in, in the draft period was Bubba Chandler a two-way player, a football standout. There were some teams reportedly interested in him as high as the early teens of the draft. I did talk to some evaluators who said, you know, they're seeing that in media publications. Their opinion was he's very, very, very raw, way more raw than was being reported, and they did not consider him quite a first-round type of talent just because of how raw he was and how far he had to go, which, again, is understandable given two-way multi-sport background. What is the outlook for Bubba Chandler? Yeah, it's the athleticism with Bubba Chandler transcends just like the regular baseball conversation athleticism. And you just start to talk about um, incredible feats. I mean, he can throw a football with his offhand, his left hand, 50 yards. I mean, I, I think if, if he would have decided to play basketball, he probably would have been uh, a college basketball prospect if he put uh, that much time into it. It's just a really, really fun athlete. Um, the Pirates are going to give him a chance to do the two-way thing. I think internally they still see him first and foremost as a pitcher, but there's raw power in the bat. There's obviously athletic ability defensively at shortstop. Uh, They're going to allow him to pursue it and just kind of see what happens. I think the outlook with him, if everything goes as, as perfect as you can think of, it's one of the highest ceilings in the system, but you really hit on it. 
it's it's more raw than than you probably think. I, I have to look back at our draft rankings. I think he he might have ranked you know twentieth, twenty first. Like we had him in those first round conversations, but it's not it's not refined. Um, he didn't even he didn't even make his pro debut as a pitcher this year. It's going to take a long time with Chandler, but he's such an exceptionally athletic, just a really unique kind of prospect that. I'm very excited when he does make his pro debut this year to see what it looks like. Yeah, the Pirates took him with the first pick of the third round. And as we mentioned, he was committed to play quarterback at Clemson as well as play for the baseball team as pitcher and shortstop. And as you mentioned, there's just so many interesting guys in this system. And he's one of them. And again, we're talking about a lot of lower level guys. There's going to be a lot of attrition here. Not all of them are going to make it, but that's the beauty of strength and numbers. Mark, you talked about the depth of this system. Who are some of the guys that are maybe not in the top 10 or maybe not even in the top 15 or 20, but are still interesting and players that the Pirates and their fans should kind of be keeping an eye on moving forward? Yeah, I'll start with one who who ended up just outside the top 15, and that's Diego Castillo. Uh, And they acquired him from the Yankees uh, in a kind of small deal at the deadline or overlooked deal for for reliever Clay Holmes. Um, Castillo was, he's always shown kind of hitting ability, but his the power and the exit velo and, and some of the underlying data with the bat took a big step forward this year. And I think some of that should be attributed to work he did during the shutdown behind the scenes with the Yankees um, hitting development program, which has had uh, several success stories recently, but he was a guy who surprised a lot of people, especially when he got over into Pittsburgh system and they have an opening at, at second base. There's, ample opportunity I think he could be a guy who pushes into that conversation either as at the second base role in a utility role at some point this year because of the gains he made with the bat he always had the ability to hit uh, he always had pretty good understanding of the strike zone but he's starting to walk just a tick more uh, and it's starting to show a little bit more power and suddenly it, it, it's pretty exciting Again, I mentioned the Pirates have a lot of lower-level guys. This is one of the upper-level guys they have. He spent most of the year at AA, finished the year in AAA. And we talk about the Pirates. It's going to be a few years. These guys are going to need some time to matriculate. But there are some guys that they can say, you know what? We'll give them a shot in 2022. They get acclimated. Maybe hopefully by 2023, 2024, they're established. And this is one of those guys, it seems like, who has a chance to do that. Uh, Nearly as many walks as strikeouts this year at the upper levels. Decent average, OPS well above 800, 19 homers in 104 games. He's a smaller guy, but as you mentioned, there's some thump in the bat, and he showed it this year. Yeah, it kind of goes back to the conversation we had about Nick Gonzalez, where the athleticism at defensively doesn't really jump out to you. It's more of like a, a functional defender, but it, it, he's a average defender, a guy who can hold his own at multiple multiple positions and suddenly a, a potential big league regular bat. I mean, he, he he's an example of one of several guys in the system who kind of took his profile and, and took a step forward in 2021. Who are some of the other guys that are intriguing? Uh, I'm excited about the two guys they acquired this winter in the Jacob Stallings deal. Connor Scott, outfielder, former first round pick in, in 2018, and Kyle Nicholas, who was a pitcher out of Ball State, who's a second-round pick in 2020. Uh, in the case of Nicholas, it's really loud stuff. He just needs to throw more strikes. But it's fastball that gets up to 97 with a, a lot of pitch data or indicators that are really exciting. Um, the curveball and slider are, are really fun. So I think there's an arsenal there. He walks too many guys, and, and he needs to iron that out if he wants to stick in the rotation. But if the Pirates can unlock better strike throwing with him, suddenly you have this, this back of the rotation to mid-rotation type 
who who's exciting and, and you have the fallback of I think he he looks like a, a a power reliever who could move quick if that's the ultimate outcome um and and with Connor Scott you're looking at a at a first round talent who the bat didn't come around maybe as fast as you would have expected with the Marlins but um it's also been a pretty unusual last two years for a lot of guys who who were getting their the start to their pro career so uh, I think that was an interesting, interesting move there that, that happened in November. I remember seeing Scott after he was drafted in Greensboro, and you absolutely got it. You saw the body. He came from the same high school as Kyle Tucker, had the same body type, the same taped wrists. It was very easy to see. There's a lot of Kyle Tucker comparison types thrown out there. He was just a young guy getting his feet wet, and you could see it was going to take some time. He really struggled his first full year out in 2019, but he actually picked it up toward the end of the year. It got to high to finish the year, 2020 again being a lost season. He actually performed decently well this year, and you see things starting to tick up, higher average, more power. Just Things seem to be generally moving in the right direction. It's taken a little bit of time, but he's still young, and, and it does feel like the Pirates might have gotten a guy on the way up who just, again, need a little longer than maybe some other first-rounders. Yeah, and he makes this in when you take a step back and just look at the system. The one thing that kind of jumped out to me is that there is not a lot of uh, upper level outfield talent that excites you. And I know Pirates fans who, who saw it at the big league level, they were desperately searching for a center fielder all of 2021. That search might, might continue into 2022, but they're starting to layer in some interesting guys at the lower levels. And they also had. Uh, he's he's higher up the list than a Connor Scott, but a breakout year from a Matthew Frazier type, or there's Hudson Head. He, he struggled in 2021 for sure, but there's a lot of power in the bat. Like there's these interesting guys that just keep getting added in at the lower levels here for the Pirates, where it, it almost feels like they're approaching critical mass. It's like how many more can you can you fit in here? But uh, it's just everywhere you turn, there's there's depth and there's there's fun pieces. Um, I have one other who. I, was, I thought at one point he was going to get into the 30 um, pirates added. Like we just talked about, they added two more guys. He ultimately is just sitting on the outside, but um, the right-handed pitcher who goes a little bit more under the radar, Luis Ortiz, he signed in 2018 for 25,000. Uh, I think at the time his fastball might've been in mid to upper eighties, but he's added a ton of strength and he's seen his velo tick up by the end of the year. He was up to, up to 98. He was sitting in the mid eighties with a, a slider that had some, some late bite and got some swing and misses. Um, the changeup needs to take a step and, and he's a little bit older, I guess. And you might want to see out of someone who, who popped at low a, but um, that was a, that was an under the radar type arm who I really liked once I got to dig in a little bit on and, and I could see taking another step this year. Yeah, certainly. You talk about a guy with that stuff and also that control. Uh, it was a pretty good strikeout to walk this year. And again, mm -hmm. it's low A, but generally speaking, that guy's a top 30 prospect in a lot of systems. And it's not any knock against him that he's not in the top 30 here. It's, it's a testament to just how good and deep this Pirates system is. Absolutely. All right, Mark. So we've talked about all these guys, their potential, their upside. The million dollar question is, when is that going to translate to wins at the major league level for the Pirates? Because again, farm systems don't exist in a vacuum. You assemble talent to win games at the major league level. That's the goal here. And if it doesn't happen, then it's kind of all for naught. Realistically, when can the Pirates expect to return to contention, given the players in their system, the levels they're out, and, and, and how much time they're going to need to develop and matriculate? Return, return to contention and, and when they arrive, I guess, could be two, two separate answers. I think by 2024, 
there should be a wave of guys who have reached Pittsburgh and have at least started to define themselves. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting. It, they've, they've torn this thing down to the studs. And, and if you look at what other teams have done recently in similar, um, in similar types of situations, um, the Orioles are kind of reaching this, this point now where at some point you're going to have to start layering in some veteran talent around the, the young guys who have reached the majors. The Pirates are probably – two plus years away from even getting to the point where those young guys have arrived and you've gotten enough time with some of them to, to make a, a determination there. So um, 2024, 2025, I think it should start to get fun. I think, I think they, they will have guys, especially young guys there who, who you want to go to the park and see every day. Uh, but it's a long way away. They have a keeper in Brian Reynolds, someone they acquired in a, veteran for prospect deal years ago with the Giants and he's turned into an all-star and really one of the better players in the National League. Cabrian Hayes, his rookie year did not go as planned due to a wrist injury, but he's still around and has shown some promise, but you're right. Aside from those guys, it's pretty rough, especially when you look at what this pitching staff might look like. There's no question this is a team that's a little ways away. I keep falling back on the study we did back in 2018, kind of examining rebuilds in the modern era and, and how long it takes when a team does a tear it down to the studs rebuild like the Pirates did. And what we found was it is a minimum, an absolute minimum of four years from the time you trade away the final pieces before the team returns to the postseason. And that's in the rebuilds that work for everyone that <laughs> does work. There's one that doesn't. Uh, but in the rebuilds that work, it's four years. And given that they traded away pretty much the final pieces, that would put them at a 2025 timeline to return to playoff contention potentially at the earliest possible date. Now, if MLB expands the postseason, that could change. But assuming it's still the same structure as it is now, I do think we're looking at, you mentioned 2024 is when some of those guys start to arrive and maybe get established. Then 2025 is when the wins start to come. So it might be a rough 2022 and 2023 for the Pirates. 2024, probably is still a losing season, but that's when maybe you start to see the progress. So patience is required. A lot of things have to happen. Guys stay healthy. Guys progress as hoped. Uh, everything works out from a player development perspective, but the talent is in place for something good to happen. And at the very least, that is something the Pirates, their front office, their fans, and really the city of Pittsburgh can look forward to. Now it's just a matter of time. Yeah. I, so this past year, their high A, Greensboro was really good and low a Bradenton was really good and they kept those cores together. And I think that that's, that's the plan again in 2022 to keep some of these guys matriculating up the system um, together as a unit, kind of learn, learn to win together, spend some time together. Um, I don't know. They seem to be really high on that. Um, If that's the case, (laughs) well, your high a and your low a teams were the ones that had the most talent. It's going to take some time, but uh, I just kept coming back to, when I looked at the, the sheer depth and even we talked the pitching staff, you're going to need a lot of guys to, to make it up there to start to make a difference. But you look at the sheer depth, it's, it's kind of a numbers game where, you know, you reach this critical mass and some of them are going to work out. And, and they, they've gotten to this point where um, even if not everyone takes the steps that you think that they will, there's just a lot, a lot of really fun talent. So yeah, you, you might for the next year or two want to, get that minor league TV subscription or <laughs> I don't know, but it, it's coming. And I think it's going to, it's going to come in waves. There's a lot to come and we'll see what happens. Mark, thank you so much for joining us, providing your insight on one of the more exciting farm systems in baseball. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Kyle. 
All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America Prospect podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Mark Chiarelli, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Mm -hmm.